What happens when a preacher and a science teacher discuss today's world from a biblical perspective? You're about to find out. This is Beaker and Pulpit Podcast. Hi, Carrie. <laughs> Hi, Christoph. It's been a few weeks. It has. Yeah. It feels like an eternity, you know, but... You traveled a bit for Thanksgiving? Oh, my. I put some serious miles on. Yeah. So did I. It was good. A little crazy, but yeah. mostly good. So, yeah. well, it's nice to be back with you. Um, our last conversation a few weeks ago, we talked about um, biological complexity and diversity and how that... Uh, in our minds, points towards design, mm-hmm. towards the creator. Yes. Um, and then also some of the you know, probabilities of uh, enough things going right in an evolutionary process for life to continue, not just sustain, but continue. And we talked about um, you know, how male and female in terms of mammals would have to evolve um, almost simultaneously Yes. In the same location in order to procreate and for life to continue on. And so, you know, the probabilities of that seem pretty small. Um, Very. But as we as we think about um, diversity and complexity, um, you know, I came across an article that was uh, talking about molecular motors. And so, um, yeah, I know this isn't necessarily molecular biology might not be your wheelhouse. but. No. But biology is, so we're going to lean on that pretty heavily. But um, just some thoughts about, you know, as I was reading this article about molecular motors, like even just in our eyes, you know, there's uh, hundreds of millions, even billions of molecular motors, which is crazy to think that, you know, in the human eye, there could be that many of these things. But um, essentially, uh, they are uh, powered by ATP. Yes, energy. And, yep, that's the energy, mm-hmm. and they serve a precise purpose. Yes, right. They do one job, or they do a few jobs, and they they do that over and over and over again. And um, and without those molecular mo, I mean, we're talking nanoscale, right? If yes. there's if there's billions of these just in the human eye, um, that that they're so precise that they perform their function over and over and over again. Um, that they're drawing just the right kind of energy at the right time, mm-hmm. really unnoticed to us consciously mm-hmm. uh, because it's happening over and over again. And I think of this on, you know, from an evolutionary mindset, how how much had to go right for th- for these molecular motors to exist and to perform their function. It seems impossible in my mind that, you know, in, in a sense of evolutionary biology, that that many things could go right all at the same time. We're mm-hmm. talking, in, you know, in the order of billions of, uh, of, uh, and I guess it's really trillions in your body, but just in mm-hmm. your eye, you know, like 500 billion molecular motors operating yeah. at once and, and they have to regenerate, mm-hmm. right? So if we're on the order of trillions of these molecular motors in our body, that those had to evolve... Not just, you know, that one of them evolved correctly, but trillions of them had to evolve at the same rate mm-hmm. at the same time in order for autonomous functions in our body to continue for, for life to be sustained. Mm-hmm. And, and as I was reading this article, I was thinking, 
it, it's, I don't know if improbable is the right word. Like it seems impossible to me, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think improbable would, would hit the nail on the head. Yeah. You know, when you, you start looking at this, right? Billions of these things, they're carrying out a specific job. Now, remember, according to humanistic evolution, we came from a pile of ooze, right? okay, to somehow form a single-cell organism. And now for the next 1.8 million years or billion years, whatever they're wanting to change their scale on, we've evolved to this. And somehow all of this now works together beautifully. Right. And, and the human eye, um, with in the back of your eye, and a lot of people don't know this, your pupil, that black dot that's in your eye, yeah. that's actually just a hole. Okay. And the light goes through it and hits the retina on the back of the eye, okay. which is black. Right. And so thus, that's what you see is a black dot. Okay. But that retina back there is loaded with a series of what we call rods and cones. They're just receptor cells. And so they're taking in all of this information through that that little tiny hole, right? right? And it goes back there, and that they're receiving this information, and they're sending it just literally split just to to your brain. Right. Okay? And your brain can process it. We're talking... In terms of like a picosecond, which oh. the, I think the best description for a picosecond <laughs> that I ever read was, it is the length of time that light takes to travel the width of a human hair. Yeah. That's how fast the information processes from your pupil to your brain. Mm-hmm. Right. And we, we, in fact, we don't even have computers today that go that fast. Right. Okay. Yep. So the human mind still operates faster than a computer. Sure. And all of that information. Now, you like basketball, right? I do. And I know you you officiate basketball. You used to play basketball. Right. And, and I used to play basketball growing up. And to me, basketball is, is just a, a, a beautiful game. And when you play it right mm-hmm. with, with, uh, with the four other players on your team and you all work together, it's just like a beautiful symphony. Sure. Okay, and in, in, in my estimation, and it all works together. But you have to be able to read the entire court. Yep. I mean, if, if you're going to be a good player, mm-hmm. you have to read that entire court, know where not just your teammates are at, but where all the defenders are at. Right. Know what each of your teammates are going to do. What they're capable of doing. And yeah. be able to get that ball – and, and and as a coach, we tell our, our, our athletes, you got one and a half seconds. Yeah. When you catch that ball, you got one and a half seconds. Now, ball better, you better be passing it, shooting it, or driving it. Right. You don't want it left in your hands any longer than that. Sure. And so just think about how fast your brain has to work. You get this, and you have to know what's all going on. If you're a good athlete and a good basketball player – all that stuff is processing. Right. And so your eyes are seeing all of this. That information is going into your brain. Mm-hmm. And now you're processing it in a, in, 
let's say, basketball language. Right. And now you can react to it. You know, oh, I'm going to do this give and go. And, oh, no, the defender's not going to be there, so I, I'm not going to give it. I'm just going to keep it and lay it in or, right. or, or something. And you have to think that fast. Right. For us to evolve from a single cell organism to be able to think that fast and to react like that mm -hmm. and all of the parts and pieces, then that's just in the eyes going to the mind, let alone those signals going through your arms to your fingers because that's you'd be down there with the ball sure, yeah. to your feet so you can move. So not just interpreting what you see but also the nervous system. All of this. Do, yeah. And it's all working together. For you, right, guys. There's a designer, yeah, and he knew what he was doing. You know, be curious, and and uh, there's probably someone much smarter than myself that's actually factored the probabilities. Oh, oh, right? because yeah. it'd be interesting to know, like, you know, how infinitesimal is it <laughs> that a single cell organism could self-evolve into the complex forms of life that we see today not just human life but you know when you talk about life in a variety of species right we're talking about autonomous functions mm -hmm. that benefit the life of that creature um, that living organism you know i saw a model of a cell the the most uh, up-to-date recent um, model of a cell that was um, produced through a variety of different um, microscopic um pictures for yeah. lack of a better term right so whether mm -hmm. it's atomic microscopes or um, you know they're looking into the depths of the cell and this is the most a single cell organism we think is mm -hmm. pretty simple mm -hmm. but the complexity even of that single cell organism and and the different functions oh, yeah. that occur you know autonomously is mind-blowing to me you know oh, and, it is and and to assume that evolution produced that when you know by and large when we look at uh macro well not macro evolution but when we look at uh micro evolutions you know not adaptations not uh an organism that remains that same species Correct. and then and then adapts to a new environment but what we're talking about you know one thing becoming another mm -hmm. when we look at the evolution of a living thing mm -hmm. you know typically those mutations aren't benefiting that living creature Right. When there's a mutation, typically it is something that's hurt that creature or ultimately leads to its destruction. Yeah, as a as a true mutation, yes. Now we'll 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 pick on Darwin here and his uh, uh, Galapagos Island finches. Right. So, <clears throat> so here's here's Darwin hitting the Galapagos Islands. Seeing these birds, and he was seeing the turtles too, and everything else. But their beaks were different on each of the islands, right? right? And you know, some of them were, and, and these are we call those adaptations, mm -hmm. but we'll also throw it in the term oh, well, it mutated, okay? Okay, in science, we, we, <clears throat> I think we, we truly use the term mutations extremely broad mm -hmm. and and so um so when you're talking about mutations usually lead up bad in this case somebody can turn around and say hey no 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 these mutations help these finches because they had a short 
pointed beak, and so it was very powerful, so it could, what, break and open um, seeds, mm-hmm. okay, so then they can eat them. Yeah, when I think, when I'm talking mutations, I'm thinking about, you know, something that's happening at, you know, cellular level, mm-hmm. or perhaps even DNA, mm-hmm. um, chromosomes, mm-hmm. right? So if it's a missing chromosome or an extra chromosome, right, those are typically not, like, advancing the species, Right, those are mm-hmm. things that are detrimental to that particular living creature. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, different size beaks. You know, I would I would consider those adaptations, not mutations. Yes, uh, but maybe my terminology is wrong. Well, no, it's not really wrong. It's just sometimes we like we'll we'll use a broad paintbrush over it, right? And we'll say, oh, those are mutations. Uh, you know, it's funny because you know we were just down in San Antonio. Uh, and shout out to all my friends and family in San Antonio. That's right. And uh, is it the River Walk? Is that San Antonio? Oh yeah, it, it's the River Walk. Yeah, the, the Alamo. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, and um, you know here it's it's forty, thirty, and forty degrees down there. It's about seventy five. You know, right? It's still you know shorts, flip flop weather, and everything. Okay. Well, boy, we're down there, and. Uh, we were just talking with friends and family, and I can't remember what the topic was. But here's my wife saying, oh, yeah, snakes, and they have this, especially like the boa constrictors, that have like a hip bone. Oh, really? Where, to, where appendages on each side used to come out. Okay. Okay. Now it's just a little layer, uh, and, and you can, you know— um, take like a stick pointer and you can open it up and close it because it, it's just right here on the hip. Yeah. And, you know, it's right there. And so it, there's like a flap. Like a little flap okay. on both sides. All right. Any idea what that was for? From evolutionary standpoint or? Yeah, evolutionary. Or created order? But both. Well, what do you think it was for? Well, I mean, in, in the account in Genesis, there was a serpent that was uh, forced to, for the rest of time, crawl on its belly, right? So legs were removed, crawl on your belly forever. So snakes used to walk upright. Upright, like on two legs? Uh, yes, like at you least. And, you and me? Because they have the the joints for that, those appendages there. Yeah. And so God created a mutation on them. Okay. So they lost that. And so now they have to crawl in their belly. Okay. But what does evolution say? That it was one species becoming another? They just, they've been evolving over time. And they, they all count that um, that was a mutation, mm-hmm. that um, they didn't need those legs anymore or those appendages anymore. Right. So they just decide we, to drop them. Do we see that? I mean, do we see that in animal life even today, that there are you know, a parent, uh, a living organism that is the parent of another living organism, that the the parent has certain attributes that the offspring does not? Mm, not really. I mean, is it, is it the claim of evolution that we can't see it because it takes so long for it to happen? That That would be their fallback. Okay. You have to understand that's their fallback, and then oh, it's going to take time. But they have nothing specific to point to. Now we can point to is 
you probably used to have wisdom teeth. I did. Yeah. Yes, and they're I gone had, today, right? I had those removed, yes. Yeah. And I had mine removed, and my wife and my kids and, and so forth. But you know what? They served a purpose at one time. Okay. But we don't really need them today, right? Because we keep removing them. Right. But you know what? They keep every generation. They still have them. They still have them. We rip them out of our face. So how many generations have we gone when we haven't need wisdom teeth, Yeah. but we still have them? What do you know what the purpose of wisdom teeth was? Probably just an extra set of uh, of molars to help uh, break down food. Okay. Because that's what basically there are a, a flat molar back there. Yeah. And so the food that they would eat to help process it and mastitize right. it and help to digest it. And, and today our foods that we eat are heavily processed um, and softened. And so we, we don't eat a whole lot of rough coarse food anymore right. like you you probably don't read anything rough or coarse you know uh you know steak, uh, cabbage well i mean let's face it you take the steak and what you want the nice steak that you can you cut with tender that cut. Yeah. yeah you want that tender cut so yeah. so no roughage for me yeah that's you, what you're getting yeah you, you have no roughage so you can't hurt my feelings by poking fun <laughs> at the fact that i don't eat vegetables right i'm, I'm good with it i've embraced it <laughs> This is my life, Gary. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but, but you see, that's what those wisdom teeth would be for. It helped to break down. So I never needed wisdom teeth. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, but, yeah, but no it still keeps coming up, they and your kids have them. That's right. Yeah. And and their kids, and it's going to keep going on. Yeah. Okay. So if, if we don't need them, then what's going to cause that mutation? Do we think about it? Or really, what what triggers that mutation to say, well, I, I don't need those wisdom teeth no more. Let's get rid of it. Right. Appendix. Yeah, I was going to ask that. I don't have an appendix because it it revolted. Yeah. And said we don't want to be a part of your system anymore, and so I had it removed. But yeah, maybe I mean, maybe that's why you don't like vegetables. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> I didn't like vegetables before my appendix revolted either, though. Um, but I, I had heard at one point that the appendix was assumed to be part of uh, a method of digestion for raw or undercooked meats. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that's true. It was just an assumption, kind of a, a theory about you know why we have this thing that we kind of don't really need anymore. Well, today, some of the from from health food type experts and the people who study clean eating and things like that. Um, we really don't want to get rid of our appendix because it it's all it's there for a reason. It, it aids in the digestion. Right. And you're correct. We don't know how important it is, but we do know is that the longer we have it and the more we can keep it, um, it has something to do with it ties in with our health. Okay. To keep us healthier. And, um, you know, because God's not going to create something in you that's... I mean, it's an organ in your body. Yeah. It's doing something, right? Yeah. It has a purpose. So... It's kind of weird in 2021 that we don't really know the purpose of an organ that's in our body. Well, we don't know a lot of things, though. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's that's confounding to me, right? With as much, you know, research that goes on. I'm, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of research that goes on, but we... 
that's the thing about science. It's never settled. Right. Okay. And so for all of you listening out there and you think certain things are settled science, somebody's lying to you. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing settled in science. It is always changing. All the years that we've been studying cells, we're still, still scratching learning, right? the surface of yeah. it because we, we know some of the big processes, but we're trying to get in all the intricate details and all those. We're still learning. Right. So we're still learning about all what the body does for each other. We know all the all the, the big things, right? The macro things. But it's all the little micro things. We're we're just starting to learn and we just have we just have a long ways to go. Sure. And and, and so as a biblical worldview, you must always remember that you are wonderfully and fearfully made. Mm-hmm. And that God knows everything there is to know about you. Yeah, and the, and I just I, I continue to think about the precision, right? With mm-hmm. you know the the smaller parts that we continue to discover and understand, mm-hmm. right? So we get to the cellular level and the parts of the cell, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even all the way down to these molecular motors. Um, you know, the the more and more that we understand, the more complex it seems. Mm-hmm. And the precision with which it all operates, you know, there's nothing that precise that suddenly began to exist from nothing, right? Correct. You know, aside from a designer. There's nothing in our lives <clears throat> that is that complex that we, we would look at and go, look at the complexity of that machine. Uh, it must have evolved on its own, right? Mm-hmm. The parts must have been sitting here and... The, somehow they came together and and we we don't ever look at any complex machine that way you know we think about the design of it and we go wow you know i wonder how much time it took you know what what Mm -hmm. was the research grant you know what was the what was the uh the process what's Mm -hmm. r&d on this you know how Mm -hmm. long did it take to put this together you know whether it's advanced weapons you know Mm -hmm. or we look at you know the budgets of our governments for the different uh branches of the military and and the types of things that um, you know, we look at Elon Musk or, mm-hmm. or uh, uh, you know, the, the different private companies that are launching things into space. And we go, wow, look at the, look at the process. Look at the mm-hmm. trial and error. Look at the failures that have led to these successes. Mm-hmm. But we would never look at that thing being shot into space and go, it's incredible that that thing began to exist on its own and now it's firing itself into space, right? We look at the complexity <laughs> of that machine and we look at the, uh, the, you know, the amount of time that's gone into it and the, you know, hundreds and thousands of people that it took to to put that thing mm-hmm. out of our atmosphere, and and we go back to the designers of mm-hmm. those things and go, what what incredible minds, right? Mm-hmm. But for some reason, we look at what is even more complex in in the, the human body or in other life, you know, forms of life, other species, and and we don't have that same sense of awe mm-hmm. at at a designer, and it just. It's confounding to me. I've said that already once on this on this podcast, but it, it really is. It, it's it's mystifying to me that we can look at one thing that mm-hmm. is complex and look to the architects and the designers and the mm-hmm. engineers, and we look at something else that's far more complex and go, "Yeah, that thing's just been evolving for billions of years." Yeah, you know, it just it it, it doesn't make sense, does it? No, no, it doesn't. Not it, to me. Yeah, you're right. It's it's totally illogical. There's no no logic in there. Yeah. Because we know 
you know, the ability to take a car now and just charge it with electricity yeah. and be able to run down the road doing, you know, 80, 90 miles an hour and drive for however long and, and all the systems that are involved in that. You know, right. you can sit there at a touch, you know, while you're driving. Now they can just, I can push this button and it's going to drive itself. Okay. Right. Now I can play with these other buttons and see what they do and see, you know, hey, I got this much air in each tire and right. um, and all of that. It's And we know that there was a designer. Right. Because yeah, I, I don't we, have a self-driving vehicle, and if I tomorrow, <laughs> if tomorrow my vehicle suddenly starts to self-perform tasks, I would go, <laughs> "Why my truck evolved?" Right? Yeah, <laughs> you know. But we don't ever see that. Correct. Yeah, and, and and so you would think that over time here we should see all of this stuff evolving. We should be seeing even today, even in the last thousand years, surely. We should see something that has totally, really just evolved from one species to another. And right. Where is it? Well, and, and even, the, you know, that point of, of logic, if you go back to your discussion on the finches in the Galapagos Islands, you know, yeah, you're looking at, at birds that have different sized beaks, but you're still looking at finches. Mm-hmm. They're all finches, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the adaptation hasn't changed the species. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's you know an important point for us to understand when we when we have the discussion about macroevolution, you know the points to ponder were discussions within the framework of one species not changing mm-hmm. to another species, mm-hmm. but that there were adaptations within that species. And the idea that we call the survival of the fittest. Right. So, and it happens in the animal kingdom, and I guess. Today it doesn't happen in the human kingdom, but it does in the animal kingdom. Is one animal through maybe a mutation or by its DNA mixing with other finches developed a certain type of beak? Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a male, right? So now he gets to because he's bigger and stronger. Remember, survival of the fittest. He's mm-hmm. the strongest. So females are going to say, hey, let me get mated by him. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now he's going to spread his DNA and so of that particular beak type. And then over time, he's going to spread his DNA all around, and there'll be some other females that might have some similar type characteristics and beak type as he does. Sure. Now their offspring come out, and so when they grow up, they become – the survival of the fittest, they become the strongest. So they are going to survive better. And so they get to do more mating. That's one thing that we don't talk a whole lot about when it comes, especially to humans, because we don't apply survival of the fittest here with humans. Sure. You know? It would be immoral, right? Yeah. And, and, and so we mate with hopefully somebody we love right mm-hmm. our spouse right mm-hmm. and so we meet mate with them and whatever dna they have whatever dna you have you mate and so you're going to get that mixture in your offspring mm-hmm. and so that's not necessarily survival of the fittest so, so not necessarily the, the best let's say of um, traits are being carried from one generation to the next for mm-hmm. that particular environment right not when it comes to humans but to animals it typically does yeah 
And but even so, in in terms of survival of the fittest, you're talking about stronger character traits mm-hmm. being passed generation to generation. Mm-hmm. But the species is remaining the same. Correct. It's just a stronger version of that same species. Yeah, and, and they and, and they like to talk about dogs and wolves. Mm-hmm. You know, well, the dogs, uh, they evolved. They came from wolves. And, you know, we see so many similar characteristics. And their DNA is extremely similar. Mm-hmm. And that's why they'll make that connection. But the one nice thing is, is, I don't care what kind of dog you have at your house. Typically, he doesn't. He's not looking at you as being his next meal. Right. Okay. Where a wolf's going. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> your lunch, buddy. Yeah. I've seen a wolf in the wild once, <laughs> and that was enough. Yeah. That thing was ridiculously huge, and and not anything like the domesticated dog that's in my no, house. No. And they're so so strong and powerful. Right. You know, more than I mean the wolves. I mean they run in that pack, but they run. And they're and they can cover miles in a day. Right. Okay. And, and most of our our dogs, I mean, you know, they're, they're humans. Walk them around the you know the block once, and right we don't know if the human or the dog is tired and needs a nap right. after the one walk around the block. But in the case of my dog, it's both of us. <laughs> <laughs> we both need a nap after we go around the block. Um, well, I th- I think that's a good spot for us to. Uh, pause the conversation, come back together next week. Um, but, it, you know, the point to ponder, I think, is a continuation of our last discussion into mm-hmm. this week. You know, the complexity that mm-hmm. points to a designer. Yes. Um, the, the probability of the complexity sustaining life, mm-hmm. you know, uh, generation after generation after generation. Yes. Right? The likelihood that that happens by chance is infinitesimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that it points back towards a designer. Yes. And, and I think that it's important for us, just as we are in awe of all the different uh, revolutionary um, uh, created things in our life today, Yes, we should be even more so in awe of the creator. Oh, yes. Right, the sustainer of our life today. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Kerry. Well, thank you, Chris. Look forward to next week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>